Good morning again. We're going to be in, uh, well, we're actually going to be in John chapter 21, but we're going to read, we're in our studies in Mark, so I want to read just a couple verses there, pray, and then we'll go over to John chapter 21, and we'll also be going to 2 Peter chapter 1 to close the study. So those two chapters are going to be yours to look through. All the other verses we'll have up here. So would you stand for the word of God as I... um, Just read a few verses. We'll pray and ask the blessing of the Lord on our time. And by the way, we're we're about to wrap up our study in Mark. Our next book will be going back to the Old Testament, picking up where we left off, which is the book of Leviticus. So it's the way to walk with God would be our title of that. The, the way the way to God and walking with God. So I'm looking forward to that. It's about it's 27 chapters, probably about 10 studies. So I'm sharing that with you so that you can read the book. And a lot of people avoid Leviticus. Don't avoid Leviticus. It's fantastic. It's got it's all about Jesus. And so here we go. Mark chapter 14, you there? Verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, we're talking about the denial the denial of Peter, his denials, but this morning the return of Peter to Jesus. So in verse 26, this is leading up to his denials. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered from Zechariah. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. That's key. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, Peter, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Now verse 72. A second time the rooster crowed, then Peter called to mind that Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. We looked at that last week. That the Peter's denials did not take Jesus by surprise. They were not for lack of sincerity, that he wasn't siding with evil. But Peter's denials would return him to Jesus to strengthen his brethren. Credible truth that comes out of these trials of Peter. So let's pray. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would take the things that you've given to me, break them fresh, Feed us, we're hungry. We love you, Lord. We love your word. We want to grow in faith, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We don't want to be stumbling through our walk. And you said your, light, your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And in keeping these things, there is great reward. So help us, as James says, not to just be listening, hearing today, but to hear under your word, to not only hear, but to do the things, to receive the things, to respond to these things that you've given to us by your Holy Spirit as believers. And Lord, we also just for a moment pray for anyone that's hearing this today who doesn't know you. We ask in Jesus' name for their responding to the gospel, the truths that are woven throughout all scripture, that you are the Son of God, Messiah, Savior. 
You came, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You died on the cross that we might have our sins forgiven. You rose from the dead that we might know that we have eternal life. You ascended into heaven or seated at the right hand of the Father even now. And you're waiting to come back. And Lord, we are looking forward to that, but we pray for anyone that doesn't know you. They would come to know you this morning. Through the word, in Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You can be seated. So again, keep your Bibles open. Go to chapter 21, and then we'll also be doing 2 Peter. All of the scripture reference on the screen, so I'll begin with these. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned, notice, to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you, may, that you know me. And then in Luke chapter 22, the end of the chapter, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter right after the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Luke emphasizes that this, this uh, weeping was, as it says there, it was bitter for Peter. It was intense when he realized what he had done in denying Jesus, something he had, he said, I'd never do that. Eight things that Jesus told Peter, you will be called Peter, which means rock man. So I'm wearing my rock man shirt today, okay? Dixon, I'm the rock man. <laughs> yeah. He said, not going to happen, right? <laughs> you, he said, you will be called Peter, which means rock man. You will catch men. You will deny me three times. Your faith will not fail. You will follow me afterward. You will strengthen your brethren. You will be crucified for my sake. And I will receive you to myself. Eight things. There are more, but those eight things sort of summarize what we're talking about. Three things that Jesus told Peter about his denials. Number one, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. It was a spiritual battle going on that Peter was fully engaged in, covered by the prayers of Jesus. And he said that, Jesus. Secondly, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And if Jesus prayed that his faith fail not, I know that prayer was answered. And then, I will go before you to Galilee. When you deny me, when all that happens, I'm gonna go before you, I've been going before you, I'll be there, you'll see me again. But one thing that it all comes down to, you follow me. Say amen to that. Really, that's what the whole thing boils down to, even in John chapter 21. You follow me. And if we're going to find any victory, any encouragement, any uh, peace, we have to have that same end thing. One thing matters. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to get my eyes off him to, to, the, to the Johns in my life, as we'll see. So the first thing that I add, uh, would, would share is that Jesus returned to Peter. Peter, Jesus said, when you return to me, but here's the deal. Jesus returned to Peter. He never forsook him. 
Now, John chapter 21 is an epilogue of the gospel, which means a comment as to what happened. So John chapter 1 in verses 1 through 18 is a prologue. So John begins the gospel with this prologue, which basically is, do you believe in him? He's setting the stage for why he wrote the book. So in John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become, to, those, to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So John begins right there in John 1, 12. But then at the end of the book, he tells us why he wrote it. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, so if you ever have someone who doesn't believe, doesn't know the Lord, doesn't know what salvation is, point them to John, the book of John, because this is why he wrote it. But the, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you have life in his name. So you, don't, you have somebody in your, in your family, a friend, send to, just read John. That's why he wrote it. So then chapters 1 through 12, John calls the witnesses. In chapters 13 through 17, he comforts the disciples. And then in chapters 18 through 20, he's crucified as the Lamb of God. That's the gospel. In chapter 21, we have an epilogue, and the question on this one is, do you love me? With Peter. First of all, do you believe in him, but then do you love him? So John seems to have added this wonderful chapter, I'd call it the P.S., Peter's story, of the whole gospel. To close this whole story out, he ends with this, this epilogue of Peter. He's answering the rumors that John was going to be alive when Jesus returns. We'll see this as we go through the chapter. But also, he's honoring his friend and fellow apostle, John, who, as John writes this gospel, he has already been martyred. He's already laid his life down for Jesus. So he's bringing closure to all that happened with Peter. He's bringing comfort to all those who follow in the footsteps of Peter, and that's you and I to some degree. So he said, I prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. In other words, as we go through the things that we go through, God is working and we become a strength to our fellow believers. The things are, the testing of our faith is more precious than gold. God tests it to refine it, that it becomes that which encourages others to stay with it in following Jesus. Would you say amen to that? Amen. How many people in your life have been that for you? They've written, as it were, on your heart, Jesus, follow him, and keep following him. So Jesus returned to Peter. He had never forsaken him. So look at John chapter 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, first on the list, which he is often. Thomas called the twin. Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. So when did this happen? After these things. After three plus years of walking side by side 
with Jesus. After experiencing the most incredible three years they'd ever lived in their whole life. So John writes about that in, first, in John chapter 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He says, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John, as he's writing the gospel, as he's writing his epistles, he is just reminiscing, if you will. He's thinking through, this is what happened. God became flesh, and we beheld his glory. We walk with him. And so in 1 John, he says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we gazed upon intently, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. That should always be the response of knowing Jesus. That you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. In thy presence is fullness of joy. As John's writing this, he's, re- he's remembering, we walk with him, we saw him, we handled him, we touched him, we, we had this intimacy with the Son of God, God come in the flesh. Jesus returned to Peter. Peter was never forsaken by Jesus. Verse three, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. So there's seven. Peter's the leader, as he turns out to be, as Jesus actually said he would be. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? Do you know the story? So I believe that Peter, now, in this time, was very uncharacteristically sad. He's thinking through what he did. He's thinking through about Jesus and his relationship with him and still mulling over this thing that happened that Jesus said would happen. He said never happened. He said, I'm going fishing, which really literally means I'm going back permanently. I'm done with all this Jesus stuff. I'm going back. As a result of his failure, you ever feel like that? Fishing didn't mean very much anymore, though. Is it true or not? When you meet Jesus, all of a sudden, things take on a whole different perspective as far as importance and priorities and being able to fill that inner need. Fishing wasn't doing it anymore. And I think they all had Jesus on their mind. In fact, I know that. There's no question in my mind. All seven of them had Jesus on their minds. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. They said, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Okay, we're coming with you because he was a leader and they're following Peter. Wait for us. This is the same lake where Peter left all to follow him. So as he's in that boat, as all seven, but Peter particularly, he's not whistling in the dark. I believe he's sad. There's a sadness in his heart. Much like when Nehemiah was before the king and there was sadness on him because he heard what happened to Jerusalem and the walls were broken down and all that stuff and he was sad and the king said, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. It's okay to be sad 
of heart. It's okay to sorrow over the things that sorrow God's heart. Ask any fisherman, which I'm not. (laughs) They would say fishing is the greatest escape from life's problems. God has given each of us an allotted time in our lives. But fishermen don't think that God counts the hours spent fishing. So here's Paul with a deep sadness aching in his heart. He had failed Jesus. And now he's missing Jesus all the more. I think that Peter was a bit lost right now. In the middle of that boat. In the middle of the lake. I saw a sign on a building in Seattle. The Tacoma Screw Building. That read this. Lost dog. Blind in one eye. Left ear missing. Broken right leg. Recently castrated. Answers to the name of Lucky. You ever feel like that? (laughs) Lost person, blind in one eye, right ear cut off with a sword, broken heart, tremendous failure, answers to the name of Christian. It's Peter. Verse 4, but when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said, children, have you have any food? Now, I can just imagine that boat. Who's that guy? No. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. This is Jesus working in his heart, just as he did to begin his relationship with him. He's standing there, Jesus observing, watching in perfect peace. If it was me, I'd be getting a, I'd be getting a kick out of it. Uh, children, you caught anything yet? Well, no. Who is that guy? Well, just cast you down the other side. He's not surprised at what happened. Why they're out there. He's not going door to door. Asking if anyone might know where they are. He knows exactly where they are. Not only physically, but spiritually. He's not upset by what happened. Say, oh, what? What about all the time and effort I put into you guys, and now you're back fishing? These are the men that are going to carry the gospel to the world? Not, that's not what's going on for Jesus. He's observing, watching, and now he's going to restore them to himself through Peter. He's not pacing the shore of the lake saying, holy mackerel. I thought that was a good joke, but you obviously don't think it's a good joke. Okay. It's on the same lake, listen, that Jesus fed the 5,000, walked on water, stilled the storm. It was here that he filled the mouth of the fish with enough money to pay their taxes. Now, that's a mackerel. Excuse me. That's a miracle. I was, that was a joke, too. Good. You got that one. Thereafter, verse 7, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, because John and Peter had this thing going on, and we'll see that even more. 
What about him? (laughs) And John's the guy that loved Jesus. And he was actually called that, whom Jesus loved. So they have this thing going on. And that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now Peter is in his funk. And so he's not, it didn't hit him yet. John is alert immediately. It's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. He can't wait to get to Jesus. He's not going to wait to haul the fish in even. They don't matter to him. He's on his way with the fins to Jesus. Now when they first followed Jesus, it was after a miraculous catch of fish. We read in Luke chapter 5, when Simon Peter saw it, this miraculous, he fell on his face, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. That was his introduction, was through the same kind of miracle, and he falls on his face, say, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. You got to love Peter. Don't you love Peter? He sort of gets stuff and then he doesn't get it. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said again to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. Jesus, this relationship that Jesus had with Peter was certainly a special one. It was a unique one. So those fish that caught John's attention and John then Peter's attention as Peter is making his way through the water, fish don't matter to him. He's out of the full steam. He just wants to get to Jesus. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Now notice that Simon Peter's at it again. Simon Peter, he went up and dragged that net to land. I mean, that was a, he was a hunk of a guy. He was wearing his Dixon shirt, I'm sure. He, he's hauling that thing full of large fish and then they even counted it, 153. Now I have no idea what that means weight-wise, but Peter's, he, he's gonna get them to Jesus too. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Now, I believe, as as I would understand this, that Jesus had been crucified. In fact, in Revelation, it says we're going to see him as a lamb that has been slain in glory. So whatever was going on here, it says they didn't dare ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. So this this breakfast left an indelible mark on the lives of the disciples. In the book of Acts, chapter 10, not to all the people, Jesus, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. This is not the only time, but that was one of them. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. He's serving them. It's incredible. He's got the meal already. He's serving them. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, we know from Scripture that Jesus had met with Peter privately before he saw any of the other disciples. 
That's the specialty of this account, the specialty of his denials, the specialties of his being restored to Jesus. It hit him so hard, Peter, so hard. And Jesus knew that. And let me say, when, it, when those things hit us hard, it's because we love Jesus. It's because we understand things, because we know what's going on, and we, we're broken. And Peter was a broken man. So the woman at the, at the empty tomb, Mark chapter 16, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. You tell Peter. On the road to Emmaus, these two men are walking and they're bummed out. In verse 33 of chapter 24, so they rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the 11 and those who were with them gathering together. They had seen Jesus with them, and then he vanished. These two saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Peter, Simon. And then Paul, talking about the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 and the resurrection, says, and he was seen by Cephas, then by the 12. Now, we don't have a lot of information on this. We just know what happened that there was these visit, these meeting that Jesus had with Peter. Jesus had also told all the disciples in Matthew 26, but after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. In Matthew 28, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And then finally in Mark chapter 14, then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. He's ahead of them the whole way. So Peter, returning to Jesus, he returned because he loved Jesus. Peter never, was never less loved by Jesus. And his love for Jesus never waned. It continued to grow and grow and grow. This denial only proved it. He loved Jesus. So, verse 15, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, many of you know this story very well. It's a powerful account of this interaction that Jesus had with Peter. The other disciples are there, but Peter is the one who's focused. Do you love me more than these? What are the these? Are they the fish? Possibly. I believe it's the other disciples because Jesus said, Peter said, I'll, though they all deny you, not me. Do you love me more than these? He didn't say, now do you know what you put me through? You know, buy a McDonald's, but let me tell you something. He didn't say that at all. You see, this is a commissioning of Peter in the love of God. It's a commissioning of the love that Jesus has for him that he is saying, you go do that for them. Love them. Do you love me? The word is agape. More than these, it's that divine love. It's that unconditional love. It's a love at all costs, no matter what the cost. 
It's to love by choice supremely. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I, different word, phileo you. Brotherly love, city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's that back and forth, it's that give and take. It's kind of like this. It's, It's not the same as agape, God's love. So he said, Lester, you know that I phileo you. This is a wonderful confession by Peter in understanding He does not love Jesus like he boasted he did. He understood that. Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said to him, I love this. Feed my lambs. Feed them. Take the sheep to pasture pasture, so they can eat and be healthy. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? Do you love me with unconditional love? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. So I have love, yes, but it's not agape, it's phileo. He said to him, tend my sheep. Guard my sheep, watch over my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, And here's where it grieves Peter. Do you fillet on me? Do you have that? Peter was grieved. Why was he grieved? He loved Jesus. He wanted to love him with that kind of love, the the agape love. He wanted that deeply, but he knew he didn't have it. You see, that comes from God, and we grow in it through obedience. We grow in it through repentance. We grow with it by understanding what we don't have of it, and then we're longing for that. It grieves us that we don't love, and I'll tell you what, we're faced with that every day. We're gonna be doing that class on homelessness, and when he was up here, uh, what's his name? Weston. Weston. As he was talking last week, I'm listening to him. He's talking about trauma and how that affects a person's perspective. He talked about addiction. How that, and I'm thinking, when I see someone that's homeless, I'm not even thinking about that. I'm thinking that go get a job. Pick up after yourself. And as I said, I was convicted, which I've been before, but it's like it got my attention. I realized, you know, I need to understand what it is that these people, are, they have stories. There's a reason they're in that condition. And like I said, for us, we have two sons that we were in that condition and still are one of them. And I started thinking, wow, how does that work? What, you know, Lord, work in my heart, bring that. It's, so it's, it grieves me. But I can fake it all I want, but the work that God does is not fake The work that God does is beyond the natural phileo. It's this agape love that he has for me that he wants me to have for other people. And that only comes by obedience to do the things that God's called me to do because he, in loving, we're keeping his commandments. God help us, amen. 
Do you phileo me? Do you have affection for me? Oh, yes, I do. He was grieved. So Jesus masterfully, as he does with us, draws out Peter's broken confession. You know all things. You know that I phileo you. You know that. So Jesus saying, yes, but I have more for you, Peter. I want you to know more than you've ever known before. God's love. Agape. He said, feed or pasture my sheep. Most assured. So Peter returned to keep following Jesus in his return. Most assured, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. And when you were old, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying, this is John commenting, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter returned to keep following Jesus. He's becoming a little bit more like Jesus. He would ultimately die for Jesus. Beautiful. He is decreasing and Jesus increasing. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is it who betrays you, Peter? Seeing him, seeing John. <clears throat> but Lord, what about this man? Let me say something quite simple. As long as I'm pointing to other people about where they're at with Jesus, I'm going to miss the complete picture of where I'm at with Jesus. As long as I keep following, you know, sort of assessing someone else's walk with God, I'm losing vision for my walk with God. Good old Peter, <laughs> foot and mouth again. What about him? So I look at it, I think that this brought a little joy to the heart of Jesus. Ah, there's old Peter again. He's still there. He's, you know, yeah, he's not, he's not some boop, choom, as if they got, no, no, he's still, still got to work in this guy. I think a little smile, I can just see a little smile crack on Jesus' face. <laughs> yeah. Jesus said, if I will, that he remains till I come, what is that to you? Death should bring into our hearts the brevity of life, the fr how life is so fragile. How I'm living my days is what matters for me. How you're living your days is what matters to you. So Lord, teach me to number my days that I may know how frail I am. To keep my eyes on that. So if I will, it remains till I come. If he lives forever, if he's got the vitamins to keep him alive for five more years, doesn't matter, you follow me. And take your vitamins. No. <laughs> so Peter returned to strengthen his brethren. This, then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die, but yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? If I will that, he's just saying, if that's the case, then what are you going to do? This is the disciple who testifies these things, John. And wrote these things as we know that his testimony is true. 
And there are also many other things that Jesus did which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written in it. And he ends the whole thing with, amen. In Luke chapter 22, the Lord said, Simon, Satan has asked you that he may sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. When Peter was being tested, listen, the devil was all over him. That's what he was going through. Now, I don't think I've ever been hassled by the devil, yes, by his cronies. But in the context of Jesus, Jesus' relationship to Peter, Satan was on the attack. Satan asked for you by name to sift you as wheat, to destroy you, to separate anything that's good and just wipe you out. So as Peter is going through that time, denies the rooster crows, he weeps bitterly. Jesus looks at him, he weeps bitterly. Know that the devil was all over him to bring him down. Judas had already hung himself. Here's Peter. But Jesus said, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. So Peter writes about this to strengthen his brethren. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, not only was he Peter's adversary, he's every believer in Jesus Christ's adversary. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Ephesians, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this world, against the, the wicked, wickedness in, heavenly, in dark places. So take up the sword of God. It's a spiritual battle, brothers and sisters. When we fail... When we're weak, when we do the things we don't want to do, the devil is all over us to condemn us, to discourage us, to say, I'm done, I'm running, I'm going fishing. And in all those times, Jesus is not surprised. He sees it, he knows it, he observes it, and he wants to speak into it. So he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. This is the strengthening that we need to humble ourselves in the mighty hand of God, to know that we have an adversary, the devil, who's seeking to devour us. So he says, resist him steadfast, how? In the faith. Greater is he who's in us than he that's in the world. knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. It's common to all believers. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, he's pointing them back to God, back to Jesus. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
In John 21, verse 18, most assured I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself, but when you're old, someone's gonna take you where you don't wanna go. He is going to die a martyr's death. Signify by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said, follow me. So Peter comes to the time in his life when he knows he's about to die. And he writes about it to strengthen his brethren. So in 2 Peter 1, it says, for this reason, verse 12. In fact, turn there. Would you turn to 2 Peter chapter 1? I should have told you that earlier. I'm thinking it's up on the screen. It's not. 2 Peter 1.12, Peter writing to strengthen us from God's word. For this reason, I will not be negative to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Peter saying, I'm going to be going. My time is coming. Jesus told me I'd be taken where I don't want to go. I'm ready. I'm writing to you to remind you before I die. I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Reminder of what things? Let me give you three. Number one, paramount, know Jesus. Know Jesus. This is the calling of us to return continuously to know Jesus. He says, Simon Peter, a bondservant, verse one of chapter one, second Peter, apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God our Savior, God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Know God, his knowledge, seven times in the first chapter, he's saying, know Jesus, know him. And it's an intimate, personal, and full knowledge of God. Peter, I'm going to remind you, know Jesus. It's not complicated. It's simple. As his divine power, verse 3, has given us, to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. You won't know it without knowing him. And all the facets of, his, of this life and godliness, who's called us to glory and virtue, We've been given exceedingly great and precious promises that through these we may partake, be partakers of divine name. There's this thing that goes on in knowing Jesus that no other person can do in our lives. This divine knowledge, these precious promises. Know Jesus. Secondly, add to your faith. Peace, I'm going I'm to be going. Here's what I would leave with you. Here's my last will and testament for you. Also for this reason, verse 1, verse 5, Giving all those, add to your faith. The word in the Greek is the word from which we get our word chorus or choreography. Add. It's the idea of support. It's the idea of a unity that makes a whole. It's not this idea that we get faith, we get that figured out, and then we work on virtue. And then we get the virtue thing figured out and then we work on knowledge. No, it's a symphony. And the Holy Spirit is a director. So I need the virtue. And it's all the chorus, if you will, the hymn of our faith. That's what Peter's saying. 
It's this goodness and this knowledge that is spiritual knowledge which comes only through the Holy Spirit. These things of self-control, of perseverance, of godliness and brotherly kindness, which is the word phileo, and then also of love. And in this list, he begins with faith and he ends with the love of God. He says, here's the symphony. Here's how we add to this, this moral excellency. For if these things are yours and abound, verse 8, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, know God, know Jesus, add to your faith. And then he closes it by saying, know God's word. Know God's word. We did not follow cunningly devised fables, verse 16 of chapter 1. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, we saw him, the word of God. He received from God the Father honor and glory when, he, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. And we heard his voice, this voice which came down from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. These things that we believe are not myths, they are facts. The word of God is not a myth, it is a fact. These things that we've seen and heard were prophetic. God's given them to us in his word. Verse 19, we have the more... As, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. The imagery is of the word of God being that light that shines in the darkness and illuminates the darkness, illuminates the corruption, is able to weed, weed out for us these things so we avoid them or walk around them or find victory over them. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation can I have the worship team come out? For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Peter said, I want to remind you of three things. Know Jesus. Know him with all your heart. Seek after him. Add to your faith. And then know God's word. Amen. Stand, let's close in song and I'll pray.